Hey everyone, before we get into today's show, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors, Coinbase Prime and Ledger. Love these companies, genuinely proud to call them sponsors of the show. You're going to be hearing all about them later from me, but now on with the program. All right, everyone, welcome back to another uh, episode of the Weekly Roundup. I'm joined as always uh, by my debonair co-host, Mr. Mark Yusko. What's going on, Mark? Ah, thanks, Mipo. Um, Ed, Ed, can you guess what I am? This is my Halloween costume. We were talking about that. I feel, but if it's a sports reference, man, I'm so bad at sports. I'm a Bitcoin candle. <laughs> that is awesome. That is really good. I'm a Bitcoin candle. You know what, Mark? Uh, so in YouTube, it's like one of the most important things is the first 30 seconds of any episode. Uh, it's huge for retention. And the best retention we've ever done is when you stood up and showed your Bitcoin socks. So we're going to need you to do Oh, out- well, okay. So we can do that too. I have <laughs> Bitcoin moon on today, baby. That See, that's what we need. That is, the, that is the type of stuff that we need on this show. I got it. Yeah. I got it. It's Friday. It's Bitcoin Friday. It's just, I'm ready. It's hilarious. We were literally looking at a chart of stuff. And we were like, why did people stay around for this episode so much more than every other one? I checked it out. There was the one where you got up and showed the socks. I was like, that is hilarious. Um there we go. All right. All right. We'll do that every week because I got different socks every week. Absolutely. Um, and your daily reminder, if you were listening to us and not on video, if you're listening to us on Spotify or uh, iTunes, please make sure to give us a rating or review or go check us out on YouTube so you can see Mark's socks. Honestly, I promise you it's worth it. Got a lot of really interesting stuff to cover today. You and I are going to spend a lot of time talking about Meta uh, and Facebook. Got a lot of takes, uh, spicy yep. takes there. Going to cover the Janet Yellen uh, proposed tax on billionaires, unrealized cap gains, as well as the MasterCard stuff. But as always, I want to make sure that we get enough time to cover all these charts that we've put together. So, all right. Anyway, I, I want to kick things off with this. This is just a fun chart. Uh, this comes to us. Uh, Michael Batnick, uh, credit posted this on Twitter. Uh, you know, you're, we're looking at March 2009 uh, through September of 2021. This is the S&P uh, and its reasons to sell. And basically, it's, you know, everything that people basically freaked out or freaked out about over a 12 year period uh, you know uh, a couple of really good you know you got Chrysler and GM filing for bankruptcy back in March of 2009 uh, you got a US yeah. government shutdown in there uh, you got the US election worries um and basically everything just looks you you could barely even see it on the chart so what are the yeah. first thoughts that you have when you're looking at this mark uh my first thoughts are don't fight the fed mm. right um that the the devaluation of currency knows no bounds in the United States. Mm. And to me, this is the greatest chart of money illusion. I mean, it's also a massive chart crime because people who do long-term charts that don't use log scale log. Yep. just don't understand charts. Um, but other than being a, a massive chart crime, um, this just shows the absolute insanity of monetary policy. Mm. And if you denominated the same chart in gold, it would be dead flat. Yep. I've seen, I've seen those charts too. It, 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 I mean, it's hard to attach any other explanation. Um, and you know, I guess if I'd been really forward thinking here, we would have also looked at a zoomed out chart of this as well. But I mean, if you look at the S and P over the last 50 or so years, um, Again, chart crime because it should be in log, but like these last 12, you really just see it go up this hyperbolic. Uh, well, cliff. look, this is QE infinity, yeah. Mike. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is QE writ large, and this is the destruction of our currency to bail out the profligate spenders in Washington. Yeah. That's all this is. And, and it's, it's so blatant, and it's, it's money illusion, right? People think the nominal value of assets is rising. 
and, and it is, but people can't do math. My other favorite chart is if you plotted this over the Fed balance sheet, again, dead flat, mm. absolutely flat. Yep. So this is simply the currency. Now, if we, if we denominated this in, in Bitcoin, it actually goes down mm -hmm. a lot. So it's all about where you want to preserve your wealth. Yeah. And, you know, the last uh, data point here that I'll point out uh, before we move on to our next chart is um, if you look over on the right, uh, just post COVID, uh, there's a blip there, which is Druckenmiller says risk reward in stocks is the worst he's ever seen. Right. Basically, right before there's, uh, you know, a 50 percent increase uh, in the S&P. Um, just a reminder, you know, Druckenmiller is probably the best to ever do it or certainly one of the top five. Um, and just a reminder that this is hard. Right. Uh, it's it's. You look at this chart, it's like up only, but uh, certainly it has messed up a couple of really, really smart investors in the past. Um, Absolutely. You know, in contrast to this uh, up only chart of equities, um, you know, now we're looking at the net percentage of investors overweight bonds uh, from 2001 to today. Uh, this comes from a Bank of America survey, uh, right? So this is a survey of their global investors or uh, bond managers. Uh, and you can basically see that people have never been as pessimistic on bonds as they are today. So I suppose, Mark, what's your take here? And then do you see this chart as being related to uh, the first chart that we we're looking at in terms of S&P and equities? 100% related. And, and, and you can see it, right? The, the big spike down in stocks mm -hmm. in 08, 09 uh, is followed by an ex post increase in bonds. They didn't own the bonds before the market went down, right? But after the market goes down, people always do two things really, really well, Mike. They buy what they wish they would have bought spectacular at it. And I think you got a chart in here that's going to show that. People buy after the event and they sell what they're about to need. So the fact that nobody holds bonds here and and I, you know, look, I, I'm not saying I'm in any way, shape or form like Stan Druckenmiller. He is one of the greatest that's ever done this. But I will echo his sentiments that right now we are at one of the worst risk rewards in the history of equity markets. And it's because the liquidity is starting to ebb. Mm. And without the liquidity from the central banks, there is no increase in stock market. We are at valuation levels that you can't make the math work. Yeah. I mean, you just can't. And so this is an example where people are hugely overweight equities. They're hugely underweight bonds, the same way they were in 2000, the same way they were in 2007, the same way they will be whatever month the market decides to finally crack, they will be sad that they owned equities, then they'll go out and buy bonds yeah. after the bonds rally. It, it's just herd animals. And unfortunately, the, the mass of investors are, are herd animals is it's just it's a it's a very sad thing. And it's why if you just picked one, just picked bonds or stocks and held them. OK, you made five percent over the past, you know, 50, 60 years, or you made in bonds and you made, you know, closer to 11% stocks. If you just picked one, you'd be fine. Pick a 60, 40 mix and just rebalance. You'd be fine. The average investor over that period, 2.2%. Why? Well, because they constantly buy what they wish they would have bought, sell what they're about to need, and they chase the hot dot. And so they destroy wealth by that activity. Let me ask you a question because I'm kind of constantly shifting between these two points of view, which is, you know, you look at charts like this uh, uh, and you look at kind of these longer term charts, right? And you look, there's a whole bunch of ways to tell that um, equities are overvalued right now. You could look at something like the CAPE ratio. You could look like the, look at the ratio of commodities, uh, valuation of commodities to um, 
you know, the S&P, stuff like that. And basically, every, every long-term chart like that just tells you in a screaming way that stocks are, are uh, overvalued right now. On the other hand, uh, there's that chart that we just looked at from 09 till today, which is stocks primarily go up. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure if you heard of this narrative of like the Von Mises uh, crack up boom type thing, which is kind of gaining popularity. And, you know, to your point, this is money illusion, right? This is central banks pumping liquidity um, into into markets, which is driving everything much, much higher. I guess that, you know, to extend on that argument, it doesn't seem like they're anywhere close to being done. You know, is my it doesn't seem like we have oh, the political no, 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 will no. to like I just fall. Yeah. So no, no, you're you're absolutely right. Look, it, I just did a presentation on this yesterday in my around the world. So if you go to my YouTube our YouTube channel and type around the world USCO, you can you can find it. Mm. But I did it on modern monetary theft. Mm. MMT is the dumbest economic theory in the history of economic <laughs> theories. And I said that a couple weeks ago, and somebody challenged me in in this in the comments. I'm like. Bring it. It is the dumbest theory in the history of economics. And the idea is that you you print as much money as you want at the government level. And if people don't spend it, you take it away through taxation. So what are they doing in this, quote unquote, build back better? Such a stupid name for a bill that has one mention of the word bridge or bridges in the whole bill. It says tax. You know how many times it says tax? 1,355 times. This is not anything to do with building back better. This has to do with taxing. So what you do is you, you put the money into the economy. People don't spend it. The velocity of money is contracting like crazy. We should bring that chart up sometime. And yep. so in order to get the money back to pay for all of the profligate spending at the government level, which is just paying to your cronies and friends, because none of that money, not none, but a very small percentage of the money is actually going to go into meaningful projects. Mm -hmm. It's going to go into people's pockets who pay campaign contributions to the congressmen and senators that pass the bill. It's atrocious. It's atrocious. Yeah. So hold on to that thought about velocity of money, actually, because I do want to ask you a question specifically about velocity of money and Bitcoin. Uh, but I want to end this chart kind of on maybe like an aggregate of what we've been talking about before. Mm -hmm. So we are looking at here is the aggregate uh, financial asset allocation among households, mutual funds, pension funds, and foreign investors. Uh, we've got cash, debt, and equity here on the chart. You can see, um, you know, cash is dwindling, debt is dwindling, uh, but equities are basically at all times all time highs of fifty two percent, which is just over where they were in two thousand and one, which was the peak of the dot com bubble. Uh, to me, this chart is basically the visual representation of Tina. Uh, there is no alternative, which has been much derided uh, kind of as an idea, but I mean, it kind of looks like you're manifesting that. It's actually here. the representation of herd instinct, mm. right? This, this proves my point, right? Which is, and human beings crave the security of the herd mm. and they want to do what everybody else is doing. And the one thing they can't stand, right? I think what I can't remember who said it, but you know, there's nothing more damaging to the human psyche than seeing your friend get rich. And so people stop so thinking and they just buy, right? There is no way a logical thinking, rational person. And look, I, I love this company because they employ my son and they've, they've made him and a whole bunch of other people really a lot of money. Snowflake, there's no person on this planet who could buy that stock at $340 at close to 200 times revenues not earnings, because they actually don't have earnings. Mm. There's no one who could make that justification. There's no one that could rationalize or justify 
the price of Tesla. And look, I've been quote unquote wrong on Tesla because it just keeps going up. But that is, it's the definition of a Ponzi. People buy it without thinking. Mm. And there is no math equation usually. They, even if they got 100% market share, they can't make enough money to justify the value of that company. But that's where we are. And this is the problem. It's, it's Dogecoin, it's Shiba Inu. All of these, those aren't cryptocurrencies. Those are Ponzi schemes. Those are the epitome, or not the epitome, they are the, the, the example of what, everything that's wrong with the markets right now. Mm. That central banks are creating imaginary money by pressing a button. They don't even print it anymore, they just press a button. And people are pouring it into things out of FOMO, out of quote unquote fear of missing out. And we know how this movie ends. And it will end the same way as it did in 2001, 2002. I can't tell you when, but it will end the same way. And that's gonna be very sad for a lot of people. And if it doesn't end, right, if they keep doing the MMT, all they're going to do is take back your unrealized gains in tax. So the government's going to take it anyway. Yeah. Let me, let me try to wrap a framework around what you just said. I think central bankers, when they look at this particular chart, in a way, this is kind of what they wanted, right? They're, they're like the, This idea of the wealth effect uh, seems to be pretty central to their policy, uh, right? Which is this idea that when stocks are up, you know, it's super, super correlated to consumer spending. Basically, people feel wealthier because their stocks are up. They actually start spending. And there's kind of the hope that that jump starts the economy overall. So in, in a way, you know, I guess if I'm a central banker, I'm kind of looking at this chart and thinking, hmm, it's actually a bit of a success. Uh, they also, I mean, so this is where you know so much more than me. But, uh, you know, there was we had this horrible, like, unfunded uh, pensions crisis, uh, essentially. Um, it, it probably still ongoing. But, you know, I, I keep reading these articles where it's like, Actually, this has been a great year for pensions, and a lot of them got sort of bailed out by this. Um, what are your thoughts on that overall? Like, are central bankers well, looking at this being like this was this was a success? Of course, they're patting themselves on the back, but not for the reasons that you so eloquently stated. The way you described it would be beautiful. Mm. It would actually be a beautiful thing if there was a transmission mechanism that created a wealth effect and a trickle down. It's actually not the way it works, mm. right? Because 49% of people in this country don't own one stock. They don't own right. a share. Right. They don't own a mutual fund. They don't own an ETF. They don't have a retirement account. They don't have anything, right? The people that own these things that are going up and to the right are rich mm. already. And so, and they're boomers. And so here's, here's the, the twisted plan, which is you made all these promises, these entitlements to boomers. Right now, the boomers created them, right? Because what is an entitlement? An entitlement is a promise you make to yourself that you don't fund and you ask your kids and grandkids to pay for. That's an entitlement. Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. So totally unfunded. All these pension liabilities. Yes, they got bailed out. They went from 63% funded to 68% funded. Woo! Still 32% underfunded, unfunded, and no chance of ever being able to uh, honor their things. Like, like when I turn 65 which is actually not that far away now. Um, theoretically, I get lifetime medical benefits for free. Why? Because I worked for the great state of North Carolina for five years. Think about that. Five years, I get lifetime medical benefits for free. There is no way North Carolina has enough money to pay for that. Yeah. Zero chance. So I know eventually they're just going to cut that benefit because now you have to work 20 years to get that same benefit. So 
the, the problem is the central bankers are applauded. They're giving themselves high fives. They're on the cover of magazines, person of the year. But the plan is not to trickle down wealth. The plan is to trickle up wealth. Mm. Right? That's been the plan. That's why wealth and income inequality are the highest they've ever been. The plan is working brilliantly for the people at the top. It is not working. Think about how many people have been put out of work with these lockdowns. Think of how many people are struggling to put food on the table. 10 million people, 10 million kids, or no, people, go to bed hungry every day because they don't have enough calories. I mean, it's, it's tragic below the surface, but at the tippy top, Wall Street, woo, they're partying. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's 1999, right? right. Prince, right. one of the greatest musicians of all time. <laughs> it really is. I should have worn purple. <laughs> should have next time, next time. Um, so, I guess last question on this, and then we can then we can move on. But uh, you know, one. So if you look at things like, and I'm not sure you're, you're going to get all the Tesla people again in the comments here, Mark. They're they're going to they're going to go oh, back at you. Um, so I'm not sure I would personally bucket uh, Tesla into this, but you know, there are these objects of what I view as being like pure speculation. It happens in crypto. It happens in uh, the stock market as well, like meme stocks. In in my opinion, sorry, I don't know if I'm you know GameStop and AMC. I don't know if you can look at what's going on there as anything other than the object of rampant speculation. Same thing with uh, Dogecoin and, and Shiba in, in crypto. And in the same way that there's kind of this, uh, you can look throughout history, there's this kind of demand that you can see for some form of pristine collateral sound money. Gold has occupied that for uh, the majority of uh, human civilization. I personally think Bitcoin is going to uh, largely supplant that. Um, but in the same yep. way, there's this constant demand for sound money. It seems like there's this constant demand for just like rampant speculation, I suppose. Um, and when you look at... Always. No, 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 you're absolutely true. There always is. Now, the one difference is there is something called reflexivity. Yeah. Right? Right. Soros created this uh, philosophy of reflexivity. AMC is a great example. I actually saw Adam Aaron, who now I'm like, I worship at the altar. This guy is awesome. Mm. Uh, so I saw him at the Milken conference. And he got up there and he said, look, we were out of business, right? 99.99% of our revenue gone in one week mm. because of these idiotic lockdowns. So we're done. So what happens? 80% of our owners were institutions. And what did they do? They went short. Our, our owners went short. Mm. And so we're basically cooked. And he said, I got lucky. And what happened is a bunch of these Redditors, people actually go to movies, said, you know what? No, we are not going to let this happen. And yes, at the beginning, it was rampant speculation. It is, hey, we can squeeze the shorts. Hey, it's low liquidity. Hey, low stock price. We can, we can put. But here's the thing. Once the stock price got back to a certain level, Adam was able to issue new shares to institutional shareholders. I love this part. Who gave him real money to put in his bank account. So he did not go bankrupt. He says, we were on the verge of bankruptcy five times. Now we're not. Now, he says, I have a war chest of $5 billion. And two facts that he said that I thought were amazing. He said, add up every baseball game in an endless season of every team. So all the teams, I don't know how many teams there are, 30 or 40 or whatever, times 162 games. Add them all up. Add every person. I got this Cubs hat at a baseball game, right? Every person that goes to one of those. Then throw in every person that goes to an NFL game and every person that goes to an NBA game and every person that goes to an NHL game and every person 
that goes to a tennis match or a golf match. Put all those numbers together. We sell seven times that number of movie tickets every year as an industry. Seven times. I mean, so that's, that's a big deal. People want to go to the movies. They want to get out and they want to escape. And so now he can extend through reflexivity. So the reflexivity part is those Redditors who were totally in it for speculation. They're totally in it for speculation. Some of them maybe wanted to get a free movie ticket, but most of them were just in it for speculation. Saved the company. And the company now can execute on this vision that he has to expand beyond just movie theaters into the metaverse. So... We should have a drinking game where every time we say metaverse today, someone has to drink. But I think we'd both be on the floor by the end of this uh, conversation. Oh, we'd be on the floor yeah. for sure. But it's a long, I, I, I just, I put Shiba, Doge, and Tesla all in the same thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fill up your comment box. The reason is there is no economic reason, right? Tesla will never make money. Right? Other than selling tax credits, right? they don't make money. They don't sell their product for enough to cover their costs. They do not make money. And everyone says, oh, well, they'll be able to increase their price someday. They tried it. It didn't work. So, and I said, even if they got 100% market share, if, they, if no other car was ever sold, they couldn't justify the valuation. And so what it has become is this, again, it's reflexive, is once it reaches a certain price, people say, oh, it's real. And then these ridiculously crazy analysts just justify it, I guess because they have a job and they, they just create some other stupid number and they put out a report and people say, oh, well, that's, that's an authority. That person's really smart. They don't go back and they look at the average Wall Street analyst is right 40% of the time. Not a great hit, right? 40%. Where else can you get a million dollar a year job and be right 40%? I can flip a coin and be right 50% of the time. That's right? very true. Um, I want to table. I want, I'm going to bring back the discussion that you that you mentioned about reflexivity and uh, what, what's going on with AMC um, and GameStop specifically. When we get to the metaverse and this uh, idea yeah. of community first and, and DAOs and all that kind of stuff. Um, I actually I want to make sure that we get and have enough time to discuss that. So I'm actually going to skip that chart, but I want to go to uh, demographics here because uh, we've got a couple of pretty interesting charts on demographics in general. So uh, we're looking at a scatter plot of uh, U.S. aging demographics versus real growth. Uh, you can see that they're very correlated. I think that the most worrisome, uh, you know, little thing there is the 2030 demographic estimate, right? Which is way down and to the right. Uh, so we don't love that. We got an R2, R squared uh, value uh, 0.6. Uh, so relatively high correlation, especially when it comes to the real world. I'm not going to lie. This was uh, this. So this chart comes to us from uh, Raul uh, over at uh, Real Vision uh, through his GMI com- um, Global macro investor, our researcher will put this on the chart. I had to look at this for a little while to understand what's going on. My interpretation, uh, and I'm doing this live, which is always a bit scary for me, uh, but you're looking at the the participation of the U.S. Uh, labor force, right, which is kind of going down to the right, opposite of it's what you want white, to see. It's the white, white line, white line. Uh, and you're looking at the Fed balance sheet, which is inverted, um, you know, which is a blue line that basically tracks it. And my takeaway here is that. You know, if you flipped it, there'd be like a perfect negative correlation, right? So basically, as the labor force participation falls, the Fed balance sheet expands. So this is the Ponzi scheme, right? right? This is Ponzi nomics. Mm-hmm. This full stop Ponzi nomics. And look, the fact of the matter is, we've talked about this every single day in this country for the next 17 years, 10,000 people will turn 65. Mm. In seven years, 
I will be one of them. In eight years, my wife will be one of them. So every single day for the next 17 years, 10,000 people turn 65. 65 to 85 year old people being perfectly fine, nice people are not highly active, highly productive members of society. They don't spend a lot, they save, and they don't contribute to labor force participation. So the labor force participation rate is a perfect indicator of a couple of things. It's a perfect indicator of economic growth, which you just showed, which means we are going to be sub 2% and on the way to zero over the next eight years, right? The number yesterday, 2%, no chance. It'll get revised down twice and probably be closer to zero. And we will trend back to what we have been for the last 10 years. The last 10 years were the worst 10 years of economic growth in the history of the Republic. Mm. And that's just math. There aren't enough 45 to 65 year old people who are productive and are the biggest contributors to uh, GDP growth and societal gains. 25 to 45 year olds are perfectly good people, but they tend to not have a lot of capital. They're getting trained. And so again, productivity is not very high, not a lot of spending, some spending, but not a lot. And so this is an inexorable truth and there's no way to stop it. And the Fed must continue to print money or, right, what happens is you, you stagnate. And so we can create this illusion of progress, even though GDP growth is basically going to be close to zero. Interest rates can continue to go down. Interest rates will go to zero, likely be negative like they are in Europe and Japan. Because remember, Japan is 11 years ahead of us. Their peak was 89. Our peak was 2000 uh, demographically. So that's... The demographics is destiny. There's no way to stop it. You can't make people age faster. And we're actually doing the exact wrong thing. You could fix it on the margin through increasing immigration because the average immigrant is a little older. But we stopped doing that. So not a, not a good plan. No, I completely agree with you. I tend to draw, the, you know, the more I learn about just growth in general, uh, the more I'm convinced that demographics are really the key thing. It's hard to break apart. You know, uh, people talk about, uh, you know, mega trends for deflation in general. People bring up technology a lot. I agree that that's important, but honestly, it seems like demographics is kind of the driving factor here. And, uh, you know, this guy Alfonso, uh, he said it the best, uh, he's macro alpha on Twitter, uh, which is just that society is unwilling. There's, there's no political will to accept a slowdown in growth, right? So the, you know, the difference in between where we'd like to be in terms of growth and where we are has been central banks. And you know what? There is a consequence to that, which I think is what we're seeing right now. So I totally agree with you. This, uh, maybe this will lead our transition into the metaverse, right? And this is where if we started playing the drinking game, uh, yeah, both of you and I would be under the table very quickly. Under the table. Although, you know, it's Friday. (laughs) It is Friday. Start a little Bloody Mary action. Yeah, uh, don't threaten me with a good time. it's also Halloween. So. Oh, I love that line. Yeah. Oh, that's that, that's my. I'm. It's gonna be a new hashtag. Yeah, that comes that comes time. to me from. Uh, I gotta give credit. That's Riley Silbert. Uh, which I don't know, if folks on the video have been watching, but uh, this is unofficially sponsored by uh, Bucks County Biscotti. Riley's a good friend and the first employee at Blockworks, and now he runs an amazing biscotti company. So if you have holiday uh, gifts uh, that you want to send, highly recommend nice. Bucks County Biscotti. Um, nice. So this is just cool. Um, you know. One thing, I, you know, Ryan Selkis over at Masari talks about a lot the, uh, about this a lot, which is that we don't have uh, basically 10Ks or, or 10Qs, right, for, for crypto. And I think this is a pretty good attempt to put something like that together. Uh, this comes to us, shoot, I'll, I'll link the, his actual name uh, in 
the show notes, but uh, this comes to us from Bankless. I saw Bankless tweeted this out, so uh, shout out uh, David and Ryan and whoever put this together. I will link you in the show notes. Um, but you know, you were kind of just looking at metrics uh, for the ETH Ethereum network, uh, which should give you hopefully like a framework um, to to value this thing. Um, I guess you know we can go through some of these, but Mark, when when you know when you're looking at this, what kind of stands out to you? Probably a fad. <laughs> Right. Clearly no growth. Mm. I mean, geez, 500%, 398%, 14,000, 141,847% growth in open sea sales. You know, it, this thing's definitely going away. It's definitely a shit coin. It is it just run away from this. Why would you want to own something that is becoming one of the most important baseline uh, platforms for the innovation in the metaverse? I mean, it probably has no use case. Mm. I completely agree. I, I think when you when you uh, when you pull a couple of these specific metrics out for me, one that has so one important flippening that I feel like didn't get enough attention uh, was network revenue and fees that are generated. Uh, when you look at yep. Bitcoin versus ETH, ETH flipped Bitcoin a little while ago. Um, I wish I had the date for you here, but uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure within yep. nine months or a year, uh, you know, which is pretty bullish, right? Just in terms of economic activity that's taking place on the Ethereum network in general. It's pretty nuts. Uh, you know, pretty nuts. Um, I mean, again, the thing that, that I just I don't understand the whole maxi thing and everybody gets all upset and, you know, warring factions. I mean, can't we all just get along? And can't we understand that we are creating, right, mm. this Web3 protocol stack? There's not going to be one. There's going to be many. And... Um, you know, whether it is, you know, Bitcoin, Filecoin, Ethereum is www. And then, you know, is it Solana? Is it Cosmos? Is it Polkadot? It, I don't, it doesn't really matter. It's going to be a few. And then DeFi is a whole nother conversation. I mean, look at the, you know, DeFi TVL, you know, 1,242% growth in a year. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about a decade. We're talking about a year. And this idea that the talent wave of incredibly smart people that are migrating from Wall Street, from engineering, from technology into, now we shall call it all the metaverse, right? Which is, you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum, uh, DeFi, play to earn, um, social tokens, identity, security tokens, right? We are just getting started in nfts and i don't like the term nfts because now nfts have gotten co-opted into this uh just jpegs it's not just jpegs mm -hmm. it is digital property rights totally and i don't know if that's a better term or not but it everything will be a token i agree your car will be a token your house will be a token your diplomas will be tokens your social standing so to speak will be will be a blockchain and that is really cool and could be a little frightening if, if the government gets their way and, and applies it in mm -hmm. certain surveillance and, and control ways um but uh, it's just it's just so awesome I could, I could talk all day about this. I'm with you. I uh you know I also have no patience for maximalism. Honestly I just um I don't see it. I don't. I don't. I think it's uh, very corrosive to just uh, honestly 
conversation. I, I love to move the ball forward. I like to evolve my own thinking. I don't know if this comes across in podcasts. I was the captain of my debate team in high school. So I love batting ideas around. I love it. It's how I learn. I like to put stuff out there, have people challenge me, tell Absolutely. me I'm wrong. I love it. Uh, it's how I prefer to advance dialogue. And so when people get offended on – it's just like, come on, man. Uh, I, why? The purpose of dialogue is to seek truth. It's not to convince the other person. It's not to show you're right and the other person's wrong. It's to seek truth. Agreed. And to debate – Right to actively debate, and to and to be okay with the other person having a different view, mm-hmm. but now we're all, oh that person's dead to me, oh that coin is dead to me. I, I I don't want to talk to them. Well, no, you should seek, you should actively seek people with different opinions. Mm-hmm. I agree. Right. I mean, if if two people always have the same opinion, one is unnecessary. And look, yes, I have you no know, the buy Bitcoin sign. Great. <laughs> Let's go. But that doesn't mean I'm a Bitcoin maxi. No. It means that I like. Bitcoin as a store of value. Mm-hmm. I agree with you, mm-hmm. right? That it will displace gold as the primary store of value. Gold had a, a nice 5,000 year run. The next 5,000 belongs to Bitcoin. But I am a huge fan of ETH. Look, I, and I'm going to give a shout out to who's going to go down as one of the great investors. Actually, two of the great investors. Because everyone talks about Kyle, but it's Kyle and Tushar. Tushar, yeah. Um, you know, we invested out of our fund into Multicoin's first fund. And I knew it was doing well, but I didn't know how well. (laughs) And it's going to go down as one of the greatest venture capital funds in history. Mm -hmm. That's a big statement. And I've been involved in some amazing funds. Benchmark Capital One, 96X, right? That's the eBay fund. You know, some Kleiner funds, some Sequoia funds. I, I've been very lucky in my life to work with just some amazing, amazing people. Um, because I say all the time that I have the greatest job in the world. I get paid to talk to smart people. It's awesome. And so what these guys have done, they took, now it's all small fund, $16 million. Mm-hmm. But right now, because of Solana and, and the graph and a couple other things, it's up over 120 times. Just let that set there for a second. The fund is up 120 times. And and so we put you know small amount of money, you know, half a million dollars. It's back it's like my my it's not quite as good, not quite as good as my Google story, where we put half a million dollars in, we got two hundred million back. But right now, because of Solana, we put half a million dollars in and we're at about 70 million. Almost two X our whole fund, first fund. Love you, man. Love you, Kyle. Howdy, everyone. This episode is brought to you by Coinbase Prime, the leading prime brokerage solution for all things digital assets, providing secure custody, trading, and financing to an institutional suite of clients. On the retail side of things, I am more than happy to make this endorsement because I have been a customer of Coinbase since the day that I got into crypto. I still keep the vast majority of my assets there, actually, and I do it for one reason and one reason alone, so that I can sleep easy at night knowing that my funds are safe. It's the same reason when family or friends ask me, where should I buy my first Bitcoin? I direct them to Coinbase. And now, finally, when institutions are starting to ask, what's the most safe infrastructure to use? I only point them in one direction, to Coinbase Prime. And the reason that I do that is because it is peace of mind. When it comes to security, 
Everything is top of the line on this platform, and it's a white glove experience to boot. They've been securing client assets at scale for eight years, which as of Q2 of this year is $180 billion. They have an industry-leading insurance policy, and they're audited by Blue Chip auditors so that you can sleep easy at night too. So stop listening to me, click the link at this bottom of this episode, and go check them out for yourself. And when you get there, tell them that I sent you because I love to get credit. When it comes to crypto, security and custody is paramount. Introducing this episode's sponsor, Ledger, your secure gateway to buy, exchange, and grow your crypto assets. I know I've got a smart audience, so I'm assuming slash hoping that most of you already have your Ledger hardware wallet, but just in case you don't, this is how I think about it. I wouldn't get into a car if I couldn't wear a seatbelt, and I don't operate in crypto unless I can do it from my Ledger hardware wallet. Crypto is really exciting, but it is still the Wild West. There are lots of risks, and Ledger is the easiest way to make sure that you are still protected. And the best part about Ledger is that you don't need to make any trade-offs between security of your funds and utility of your assets because Ledger has Ledger Live, which is a software that syncs right up to your Ledger hardware wallet, and you can do anything that you'd want to do with your crypto assets. You can easily send and receive, you can buy and exchange, and you can get access to staking. And they've actually started to aggregate some of the best DeFi apps and services out there. Two of my favorites, Paraswap, a decentralized aggregator, and they've got Lido for staking. And stay tuned. I'm going to keep you guys updated. They've got some really cool services uh, coming out soon. Aave, Compound, and One Inch among them. So if you take one thing away from this, guys, please, please, please make sure that you're protected in this space. Get yourself a Ledger hardware wallet today and start using the Ledger Live app. Click the link at the bottom of this episode. Thank me later. Those guys, um, just one quick note on there before we transition into meta. You know, we we know the Multicoin guys well too. We actually host, we host their, uh, it's kind of like a legacy deal we have with them. We host their biannual conference that they do for their investors. Nice. So I remember in 2019, we hosted, they had a, uh, you can see all the, the, a lot of the talks on YouTube, by the way, they're great. Um, and Kyle gets up there, he says, Binance is blitzscaling. That was their big thesis at the time, right? So BNB yeah. token. Uh, another company of theirs that we know well, Helium. So they got Helium in there too. They also had Arweave. They had this, this Arweave. And then they also, you know, they're talking about Solana. And holy shit, did all of those end up being right? I can't even be mad. I missed, I was, you know, I was there. I listened to all of yeah. these pitches. And, you know, this was, you know, 2019, different time, man, different sentiment. Uh, I remember thinking, what are all these like token? Remember, token was a dirty word. What are all these tokens doing talking at this event? Blah, blah. Jesus yep. Christ. Uh, hey, guys, when you're right, you're right. Uh, props. Kyle and Tushar, you guys are visionaries. Um, I want to transition here into the, uh, the the meta news and get your take. I have, I have a lot of thoughts on mm-hmm. this, actually. First of all, let's celebrate. ETH, all-time high, baby. Woo, let's go. Uh, Woo! I, I feel like uh, I feel like that's... All like, right, so now maybe I'm an ETH candle. Yeah, and you could be an ETH candle, candle, too. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, I feel like... All right, I'm going to be an ETH candle. All right. So, so I'm officially changing my, my Halloween costume to an ETH candle. Nice. You're still better than mine because I still don't have one. I'll tell you my, my whole saga at the end of this, but uh, if people want to listen. But uh, I think that's not unrelated to the news that uh, Facebook is pivoting. They've already announced, right? They're, we're pivoting to the metaverse. Uh, you know, we just got, we knew they were going to change their name. Uh, they've actually changed it to Meta. You can look up the branding. Uh, there's a new parent company. I think this uh, this rhymes with what uh, Google slash now Alphabet uh, has has done. Uh, they announced that they're going to make a $10 billion investment. And critically, they, they attach a time period to that. So $10 billion over the span of 12 months. Jeez, that is breakneck uh, speed when it comes to deploying capital. Holy shit. Um I got a lot of takes on this, but what do you think about this, Mark? What do you think about this this whole development? You know, I am. Um, 
I'm I'm one I'm I'm all in in the sense of you know I've been on this this crypto journey for for a while mm-hmm. and each time I go down the rabbit hole I realize it's not it's not vertical it's conical and it just keeps getting wider and wider and wider and part of the challenge is that means there's so many ways to go and so many things to think about and and so you know we could spend the whole day talking about play to earn we could spend the whole day talking about yeah, defi so right. we could spend the whole day talking about just ethereum just just the base layer we could spend the whole day talking about solana we took spend the whole day talking about nfts and so when you wrap everything up into this intersection of regular life and digital life uh it it is in some ways it's it's paralyzing because there's just so much it's like where do i go first on the other hand it's so incredibly exciting and it's why i keep talking about this it's it's exponential and people just were bad at math right two times two four 17 times 23 i'll wait mm. people can't do it without a calculator so when you start getting into logarithmic linear regression nonlinear regression they absolutely can't do it and so web one was awesome because mm-hmm. we were going from horrible technology to pretty amazing technology mm-hmm. and we created companies like microsoft and cisco and intel and you know it's a lot of wealth but web two we're starting to get to the knee of the curve the s curve way bigger wealth mm. amazon and apple i mean apple just hit two and a half trillion dollars of market cap because it's a network Right? It's not, it's not a company the way we think of companies. Great. It's a network. And now we're going to Web3 or the metaverse. And the exponential part of that parabola, it, it, just, makes, it just makes the mind hurt. Because we're going to see so many developments from new jobs, right? People who have new jobs literally involved in, in, in the non-physical part of the world. Right? They will create land, like decentral land or decentralized jobs or decentralized businesses that sit inside the metaverse. And, you know, I, I find it interesting that that Facebook wants to, or Meta now, wants to try to insert themselves as the gatekeeper. In fact, I was having a conversation with my wife about this last night. And she's like, well, one, why do I want to spend time in this you know, mm. digital world when I spend time in the real world with my family and my friends. I'm like, well, you know, you can spend your time with friends in, in the meta world too. So, but then why would I want him and them to be the gatekeeper? Mm. I don't want that. And I thought that was very interesting. Me too. I'm, so here's all the different ways that I'm thinking about this. First, I just have a gut reaction of pure respect, honestly, to pivot an $800 billion company or whatever their market cap is this aggressively is honestly, I just, you know, my gut, my first reaction looking at this was just Jesus. That is so bold. I just, I, you just have to respect it. You know, Mark Zuckerberg, there are these stories about him, you know, when Facebook was smaller uh, or just growing or a young company, Yahoo wanted to acquire them for 4 billion. He had everyone begging him, everyone, his whole board, employees. Hey, you won. You will be a billionaire. You'll have like $2 billion or whatever it is. No, I can't imagine. This guy was like 23 when he made that decision. I can't imagine turning down guaranteed $2 billion as a 23-year-old. Next, there's that story of him just pivoting into mobile, right? It's just like, guys, don't bring me anything that isn't mobile. I mean, these 
So look, at the end of the day, I just have to absolutely respect that. So that's my that's my first gut take. Second, totally agree. I think this was really smart uh, for two reasons. One, uh, this guy's got a nose for the future. So hope like maybe his bet on the metaverse works out. I've got thoughts on that. But two, I think he also uh, he accomplished this other goal, right? Which is that there's this antitrust wave starting to build around big tech. Uh, and he's got like three different properties. He's got Facebook legacy app. He's got Instagram. He's got WhatsApp. There was a concern, right? That uh, these might be broken up. They've telegraph that you know so now it's instagram by facebook whatsapp by facebook and now they further consolidated all of that into one reporting segment so my my thought you know is that it makes it more look concentrated uh, and it's less likely to be broken up right because people don't see them as different things anymore so i think it was a smart move from that perspective now the question i'll put to you is uh, this has largely been viewed i've actually been pretty surprised um it's been largely viewed by crypto as a community as vastly positive uh, for you. You see all these, um, what I view as kind of thought leaders in, in the metaverse space, hey, this is really, really positive. Could be. It could be. It could also be kind of negative at the end of the day. Like there's a lot of anti-bank sentiment in crypto, right? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. long Bitcoin, short the banks, et cetera, right? It, they're viewed mm-hmm. as kind of opponents. Mm-hmm. There's a frenemy relationship, if we're being honest, but they're viewed largely as opponents. I view, like you, crypto as an evolution of networks. There was web one, there was web two, now there's web three. Web three is directly oppositional to the model that Facebook has built. It is, in my opinion, completely incompatible with the Facebook web two business model. I don't, Zuck is a guy with ambition. I do not see, it's hard for me to imagine a world where he's like, oh, I'm just, because the best case is like, I'm gonna plug into the Ethereum ecosystem, right? And I'm going to use these rails that people are building, uh, you know, to, to build my essentially portal into that world. Yeah. I just don't, I'm not really sure if I see him doing that. It, Zuck's a guy that wants to own the whole shebang. And look, if, if you do, if there does end up being an adversarial relationship, guess what? I'm much more scared of Facebook than I am of JP Morgan, just because their, their ability to execute and the vision at that company is staggering. Those are all my thoughts. I haven't I haven't figured out where I come down, but look, I, that's what I think. Percent and and you know, people need to rewind for the last five minutes and and rewatch what you just said because it is absolute brilliance of insight on this topic. And and I'm serious. Rewind five minutes and just just rewatch. Um, in fact, I'm going to do I, if I could do that right now. If I was in the metaverse, <laughs> like, I could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but but here's the thing. It, it, the reason it's so insightful is decentralization, right? Which is the direction of Web three and and everything we're working for in crypto broadly um, is, to your point, antithetical to centralization. Um, and so this idea that that a centralized authority should uh, be the gateways, like my wife's reaction. No, I, I don't want to go through a centralized authority. If, if this is going to be this this decentralized thing, I want to enter where I want to enter, and I want to interact with who I want to interact. I don't want to have to ask permission. And so, uh, it, it kind of reminds me, actually. There's a great video of Bill Gates in ninety ninety four, I think, mm. where they're asking about the internet. He's like, ah, the internet? No, no, no intranet the microsoft intranet yep. trust us and our technological expertise and all these smart engineers we will protect you mm-hmm. 
bull crap, just like he's not trying to protect us now with the whole vaccine crap topic for another day. But no, no, I don't need big brother or big daddy. Uh, I want to integrate, I want to interact with who I want to interact on the terms that I want to interact, not through this, this gateway. And so I completely agree. And you know, look, now I'm talking on both sides of my mouth. We um, have application in, and I think, fingers crossed, we, we may just uh, got approved to be one of the validator nodes for, you know, the DM project. Nice. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm hopeful. And, and I'm excited about that because I think the DM project is amazing. Mm -hmm. And it was like, no, no, it, it's competitive and it's, it's anti and, and centralized. I'm like, yes, it is. But it's all about the next billion, right? I did the Coins yeah. podcast. It's about the next billion. We, we, we can't survive as a group if there's only a couple hundred million of us talking to each other. I'm with you. We need everybody, right, to adopt. And the fastest way to get adoption is to get cryptocurrency or digital assets into the hands of as many people as possible. And whether we like it or not, these guys have three billion clients. Largest so, megaphone yeah, I'm sorry. ever yeah. in, in human existence. Yeah, I mean, just, just let that sink in. Half the planet is, is engaged with that ecosystem. So to get them to have a digital asset and set up a digital wallet is actually a really good thing. Now, in the short run, will it kill off some projects? Oh, for sure, for sure. And there will, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Now, do we need to, I think, toe the line, literally toe the line on true decentralization and, and true innovation around that and not let this behemoth make it a walled garden? For sure. Um, and, and it's going to be interesting to see how that dynamic plays out because you can't be a little decentralized, right? Great. I mean, you, you have to be decentralized. Uh, or, and, and again, you can be centralized. I'm fine with centralization. The TradFi world should be very afraid. Because to your point, uh, I'm not worried about JP Morgan at all. Right? Yeah. I mean, they, they blew it. They had a chance to, to take advantage and they blew it, right? The tech companies could become the equivalent of digital banks yeah, for sure. And that's what Alibaba was doing until, you know, People's Bank of China shut them down. Um, but again, we haven't really talked about it. I don't know if we have time to talk about it, but this to me is, is why you know, everyone's all excited about the Bitcoin ETF and, and the futures and nope. Hmm. So why did we have a little pop and now we're kind of flattish? Where's the where's the big rally? Where's the big a billion dollars went in the first day? Zero dollars went into Bitcoin. Think about that. Zero dollars went into Bitcoin. A billion dollars went into bets. Literally bets, contracts for differences on the price of Bitcoin. But unless actual people buy Bitcoin, right? If demand rises with limited supply, the pricing gonna change. So we didn't bring anybody else in. We brought a bunch of advisors who wanted to buy Bitcoin, but they still aren't allowed to buy Bitcoin. Mm. They're allowed to buy the contract for differences, this bet on the price of Bitcoin. And it's worse than that. Because what we did is we facilitated 
the ability of the banks to go short. Right. And that will put downward pressure on the price. And so I'm not saying this is the December 18th, 2017 moment, right? Which was the peak. Mm. And we went down 84% from there because you could actually get short Bitcoin for the first time. Um, but I am, I, I, I want as many people to be involved in the metaverse as possible. I want them to be involved in crypto. Not a big fan of this WorldCoin project, I must say. <laughs> oh. uh, I really don't want my iris scanned. Look, um, yeah. Someone needed to tell those guys, guys, I mean, I just, it's hard to imagine a project that is more anti the ethos of this community. Uh, it might be a good idea. Yeah. To be honest, I haven't looked into it. I saw the memes. I saw the mess. I saw these, all these Twitter. It's just like, guys, someone needed to have the bravery internally to stand up there and tell you that it is a big swing, but you know, the community was going to hate this project the whole time. Biometric mm -hmm. scans. It just mm -hmm. sounds dystopian. Um, and, and, you know, sorry, to just close off on Facebook, I think this is, the, if you're listening to this and you're trying to interpret what's going on with Facebook and the metaverse, I, I think it's an open question. I think the big thing to pay attention to is does it look like ETH or uh, uh, Facebook or Meta, sorry, is plugging into Ethereum Rails uh, or decentralized network right. Rails or are they trying to build their own? And, you know, a, a data point that you can look back on is I think one of the most important projects that did, or points in crypto history that didn't get enough attention is when Facebook just said, said they were going to launch their stablecoin. I think that was, uh, you know, it didn't really work, but I think that is what jump-started governments uh, taking this shit way, 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 way more seriously. Um, oh, for sure. You know, because they, they, yeah, you're right. They have 3 billion people. Um, and, it, you know, at the end of the day, I, I talked to my roommate about this a lot. We, we, we disagree about this <laughs> quite a bit. But I think if you're looking for a framework as well um, for why I, I'm probably leaning more towards I think Facebook is incompatible with the metaverse. Because if you think about what we're really doing here in crypto, what was the fundamental innovation of Satoshi? I agree with you, Mark. It is a new way to monetize networks. He introduced scarcity in cyberspace. Um, and if you think Correct. about the analogy that's totally imperfect, but if you look at the evolution of governance of humans over periods of time, you used to have these fiefdoms, right? You go back to like the feudal ages and Every, all the land and everything on it was controlled by one central person, uh, or, you know, like yep. the lord of the land. So then if you think about, like, what are the value of the assets in that land that, like, a peasant might own? Not really anything, right? Because you don't yep. really own that, right? It, it, all the tax flows up to the, the person yeah. who's accruing all the value. I think that's a, a good analogy to use with Web2 and Facebook. You post photos on there. It gets millions of likes, yada, yada. Where does that value really accrue? Where does it flow up to? It flows up to freaking the centralized network, Facebook. Of course. Look, we, 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 Mike, this, this, this is it, right? Mm -hmm. TCPIP. It's the internet. Mm -hmm. Greatest invention that maybe any of us will experience in our lifetimes. Unbelievable. Vince Cerf creates it. It languishes. Tim Berners-Lee comes along, writes this code, and boom, we have the internet. The internet is born. Tim doesn't make any money. What the hell? He invented the internet, doesn't yeah. make any money. Well, who made the money? Zuck. Because he was smart enough, genius enough, first to steal the idea from the Winklevoss twins, <laughs> then to actually create a free, love this, free, so give it to people because we, we love free. We love free. We we'll take free. Don't matter what the quality. We just love free. But it ain't free. You then are the product and your data is being monetized in unbelievable ways and created unbelievable wealth for the centralized. And here's the problem. 
all of these centralized business models were genius for the internet mm-hmm. because you could not own the protocols. You could not own TCPIP or FTP or HTTP or SMTP or www. Different today. The stat I loved, right? We other venture capitalists have invested in a bunch of really cool companies, right? BlockFi and Figure and 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 some amazing companies. Great. And Bitcoin and Ethereum and others. Right. All of them, all of them, Coinbase, all of them are worth $300 billion. The protocols are worth $2.7 trillion. Yep. 90% of the value is accruing to the protocols. So here is the thing, right? We were huge investors in ride sharing. Uber, Lyft, Ola, Grab, right? Great. But why? I had this thought the other day. I got in the back of a Lyft. I'm like, why did the people that wrote the code six, seven years ago get 30% of that ride. Mm-hmm. I could have just paid the driver directly. And a decentralized version of that app will exist. And to your point, should it be Lyft Decentra or should it be a new company that goes against them? So should Facebook, now Meta, be kind of Decentra and, oh, we're, we're going to let them keep their, their monopoly? Or should we create our own social decentralized systems where we own and we didn't even get to Dow first. Mm. You know, one of my friends, uh, Tyler Ward, you know, who's created some amazing projects. He coined this term Dow first and decentralized autonomous organizations are one of the innovations that are going to change. We're back to your point about governance. Yep. So from the feudal days to centralized government days where the government literally can eminent domain, take your stuff to a Dow where we, the members, govern ourselves. Right. Without borders, without nation states, without armies. This is, I mean, again, we'll talk about this for, for weeks and weeks and weeks to come, but this is there's big. There's a lot of points I, I wish we'd had time to get to. Uh, you know, if, if you're looking for an analogy of why this might be so valuable, look at uh, how emerging markets, there's a, I'm going to forget the name of the fund. They've done a lot of studies, but a lot of people ascribe value in different markets to their form of is it a is it a democracy? Uh, is it a, mm-hmm. something that looks more like a centralized regime? It turns out that it's actually not that important. What is important is strong property rights, uh, and what you get with things like uh, the Ethereum network is digital uh, strong property rights and settlement assurances. Um, and I feel like the strongest uh, two networks that you have is, is Bitcoin and ETH for that right now. It's all, it all goes back to English common law, right? The countries that had at their foundation used, you know, British common law because they were the colonization, you know, not such a wonderful thing where they went in and took over. And nope. but but they did leave this thing called common law, which led to real property rights and ownership. The number one thing that breaks the cycle of poverty is home ownership, right? A pl- is shelter is a place to to live. You don't have to actually own it; you just have to have shelter. But Having property rights, being able to own something and use it for your benefit. And just a quick note on on Axie, right? I love this, right? You got migrant farm workers going from a dollar a day. Now someone's paying them $50 a day. Oh, that's exploitative. Mm. Are you kidding me? They're being exploited a dollar a day, not at $50 a day. And then they save and they buy a digital asset that they own. And then they buy another one and they breed them and they turn their time into value. And they sell it to me and my son. Although my son didn't buy one. He's like, Dad, I'm not paying $400 for an accident. <laughs> like, I raised a little value investor. But it's unbelievable the change in that person's life 
because now they have a, a digital property, a digital asset. Mm -hmm. And this world of digital assets, this world of the metaverse, it's not just, you know, Ready Player One, we put on our suit, and we got the haptic touch thing. No, that's cool too. But it's about owning assets and using assets and building businesses in this global borderless world. And the exponential growth potential, again, it's just, it's just mind numbing. But you got to get past the numbness and just the happiness and actually do stuff. Agreed. And I, it's a one, one little shout out to you know, some people watch this and others. And you know, I've been screaming about this for a long time. And most people thought I was an idiot for years. You have been. But a few people actually um, did stuff. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, I just want to thank you for getting me. But I said, I did not get you into Bitcoin. I had nothing to do with it. You had the courage to act. So everyone who had the courage to act, pat yourself on the back. That's what matters. You can listen to people. We all listen to people. But you have to act. And so if we just sit back and we're just, no, oh, it's so big. It's so I don't understand it. Nope. Do the work and act. Because action is how we win. And Zuck is acting, to your point. Yes. And the man, he's kind of robotic, but he's really, really smart. And he's really, really good. And and I am a little afraid, right? It's a little like the Terminator. So I, I I definitely think we as a community need to think about uh, how we defend against centralized creep and keep the the, the ethos with you of of the system. Look, Zuck is an incredibly talented founder and CEO. That's a really rare combo. I say that as a founder, I'm fully aware of the relationship there. Uh, it, his PR, though, my God, man. It's like, dude, I, I just, look, it's almost endearing at this point. It, I actually kind of almost look at it. I'm like, dude. It's, it might be the plan. It's it might, so it bad. It could be. Or this guy could just be it a horrendous be public speaker. I don't know. But uh, No, no, look. It, 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 there, is, there is a school of thought where you create an image of not good. Mm. So people underestimate you. And I have this, this friend in, in the university world, and, and he's from Alabama, and he talked really slowly and a little bit with an accent that most people would think, oh, that guy's not as smart as me because I'm from Harvard or Yale or whatever. The dude was laser sharp, but he was dumb like a fox. People thought he was slow and Southern, and, and he used it. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's a little bit of what's going on with Zuck is he... He uses that, oh, you guys underestimate me because I, I don't present as well as the flashy. Um, but all this comes back, you said it, um, to the quote from Eric Schmidt, who knows a thing or two about tech, mm -hmm. uh, uh, former uh, CEO of Google. Um, what Satoshi, whoever he, she, they are, did in creating Bitcoin, it's awesome, but it's not the big thing. The big thing is that he, she, they created this idea of scarce assets in the digital world. And to have, an, to have a truly scarce asset, can't be duplicated, can't be copied, can't be shared, is such a foundational change from the traditional way of doing property law and having title insurance and all these you know, central intermediaries, lawyers and accountants and bankers. 
all that goes away and you and I can exchange value with guaranteed certainty of ownership validated by code. Incredible. I agree. We should do an episode at one point, maybe like a weekly roundup where it's not specific stories, but you and I talk about like maximalism, just theories on the metaverse in general. I'm cooking this up. I'm talking this in real time, but it would be a fun episode. Um, I'm in, you know I'm in. Look, I, I, I love our weekly chats. They are, they are the highlight of my week because the, people don't take enough time to sit and think. And that's what we're doing, right? We're thinking out loud and, and we're reacting to stimulus and, and ideas that you guys curate, which is awesome because there's so much information. We're drowning information. We're starved for knowledge yeah. and or thirsting for knowledge. I'm at the point and now where that's how you get knowledge is to is to dialogue and debate. I completely agree. I'm at the point now where I see an interesting chart and I'm like, man, I can't wait to talk about this on the roundup. <laughs> like on Twitter, I slack it to myself. I'm like, all right, uh, just bookmark this. Um, awesome, awesome, Mark. All right, uh, I know we're over time here. Thanks so much for another great episode. I will see you right back no. here same time next week. Happy Halloween, everybody, and uh, thanks again, Mike. Stay spooky, y'all. 